Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex and today we have a special treat for you because we are doing a crossover episode with our dear friends over at Chain Reaction, TechCrunch's crypto-focused podcast. Because if you haven't heard, there is some big stuff going along in a legal room in New York. And that means we have Jackie Milanik here to talk about all things SBF. Jackie, I think we need some more acronyms, so I'm very glad that you're here. Hi. <laughs> Coming to you live from New York, or what is it? Yes. Saturday night. No, it's actually SDNY, which is the SBF trial location, which is the Southern District of New York. There's another acronym. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Between all the acronyms, I actually think I'm slowly becoming intelligent. <laughs> but we are here because Sam Bankman-Fried, the former CEO and co-founder of FTX, a formerly major crypto exchange, is facing seven counts of variously uh, securities fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy to launder money. If you don't know, those are bad things that you shouldn't do. Don't do that, yeah. yeah very much. Don't do it. <laughs> Even if your friends say you should, you should not. Because SBF is facing up to 115 years in the clink, as they say. And that's more than one lifetime, Jackie, last time I checked. Yeah, and he's in his 30s. So unless the technology exists to keep him alive for 140 years, don't check my mouth on that. 150? I don't think he's going to make it. Yeah, but we have <laughs> Jackie on not only because a lot's going on, but because we have dispatched her each and every day to go sit in the courtroom and listen. And so we're going to talk about what she's learned, what she's seen, and what is up ahead for Sam. Lots to talk about. We've been looking forward to this trial for... Well, looking forward is not the right phrase. Anticipating this trial for some time Anticipating. Yes. Uh, It has been on our docket since we got the date back in January, I believe. And this isn't the only trial. There is going to be another one in March 2024, but that's on different charges. And we're not going to talk about that today. Yeah, but... I have not been waking up in the pre-dawn hours to attend <laughs> this this court case, but I, I presume, Jackie, that you have to get up so early to get into the court because there is mm-hmm. outsized interest in the proceedings. Yeah. So there's a lot of reporters who show up. And today, I think I was like fifth in line. And yesterday, I was also fifth in line. We are recording this on Wednesday around 530 in the afternoon for context on October 4th, which is the second day of the trial. And I just want to point out that we're recording this like Jackie literally just got back to her computer. I sprinted back. So she is as (laughs) current as you can be today on the trial proceedings. But Jackie, you and I know the backstory here because we were covering FTX before the implosion and and during the implosion and now in the wake of that. Can you rewind the clock a little bit and just bring people back up to speed on some of the the high points, the most important points from the FTX saga? Sure. So FTX was one of the largest crypto exchanges out there. It was called the third largest for the most part. Some people called it the second, but the debate is up in the air about whether or not it was. It was basically one of the biggest. And Sam Bankman-Fried, the co-founder and CEO of FTX, was a very prominent figure in the crypto space. That's like just a genuine, true statement. He had advertisements everywhere. He had celebrity endorsements. Well, they were paid celebrity endorsements. He was working with politicians. He donated to politicians. There was a, a 60 Minutes thing that just came out on Sunday that said he offered up to or he wanted to offer up to $5 billion to have Trump not run for president. I mean, he had a lot of money. He was a billionaire before he was 30. Some people compared him to Warren Buffett, which even at the time I found ridiculous. For context, TechCrunch never did that. But basically, Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF as we typically call him in a casual tone, he ran FTX and he had a sister company or he was the parent company of another one called Alameda. 
Alameda Research is the longer term. And it's basically a crypto hedge fund that kind of traded cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And what happened here, allegedly, is that every dollar that a customer deposited to FTX, this is all alleged, went to a bank account in Alameda that Alameda then could use or SBF could then use to go buy real estate or endorsements or whatever he wanted to use the money for. Yep. Turns out fraud, same kind of thing, no matter if it's on the blockchain or on traditional fiat rails. Mm-hmm. But FTX like, came out of nowhere. And in, in retrospect to me, watching FTX become the giant it was at least putatively said to be at its peak when it was worth, was it $32, $39 billion? $32 billion. $32 billion yeah. backed by some big venture names. It seemed very fast to me. And in retrospect, that should have made my alarm bells go off more. But Jackie, at, at, at the time, I mean, this was back when crypto was the opposite of where it is today. I mean, if we're in a crypto mm-hmm. winter today, we were in a crypto summer then. And so it was the era of big money, fast investments, quickly built companies, new billionaires. And and SBF, Sam, was, you know, top of the echelon there of kind of faces of new money. Yeah, you've got a point there. And that's actually something that the defendant's lawyer, Mark Cohen, said today at the trial. He argued that one of the reasons FTX later collapsed in November of 2022, almost a year ago, was because it grew so quickly. And that's why they didn't have a CFO or risk management in control. And as startups do, this is all kind of his analogy, not me, uh, as startups do, sometimes they grow really fast and sometimes things break. And he was a CEO just creating two businesses that happened to break in the outcome of the crypto markets going crazy. Man, I, I hope that lawyer comes and like explains to my boss when I miss a deadline or don't hit a metric and they can be like, Alex is just this little boy. He didn't know what he was doing. We're going to give him the most sympathetic reading. Well, Alex, you're not on trial. I'm not on trial. But I mean, <laughs> it, to me, that that rings hollow from the very beginning. Because one thing we've learned is that the company's backers were like, you should get a CFO. You should have normal financial controls. And he was like, nah. And uh, yeah. so it's not like that didn't occur to him or there wasn't time. I mean, he had enough time to buy up an enormous amount of Bahamian real estate and spend tens of thousands of dollars at Margaritaville or whatever the hell it was. Clearly, there was time. <laughs> and you can't attend right. every single high profile get together of famous people that you bought your way onto if you don't have spare time. Hire a CFO mm-hmm. and you're flying. Right. So, Jackie, I know there was a lot more action on day two, and we're both very excited to talk about it. But I want to pause because we made you attend both opening days of the trial and many more to come. So day one, (laughs) uh, fewer fireworks, more procedure, but still important because it picked, I believe, the jury. Yeah. And, you know, Alex, I was happy to attend, even if it was bright and early in the morning. But day one was all about jury selection. SBF was there. He came in a suit that was a little too big on him. And initially, the reporters and anyone who wanted to watch was not allowed in the jury room just because of the sheer mass of jury selection people that were there. It was too much. And so we were all put in overflow rooms to watch from like tiny little HP screens. But from the screen that day, you could tell one, he got a haircut and two, the suit was too big on him, which I read that apparently the Wall Street Journal reported it was a Macy suit and that apparently another prisoner gave him a haircut. Just context there for you. But anyways, there were a lot of jurors who kind of either wanted to opt out. It seemed, you know, they were being as honest as possible. Some people said they had weddings. Others said they had travel book that they couldn't get refunded. 
one person said that she actually was in that court herself with her husband for racketeering charges and they got it dismissed, but it made her heavily distressed. She was in the end not chose for jury. She was also trying to go to Maui for six months. So there was a lot of interesting characters. I know people call jury selection very boring, but I think it kind of painted the picture of like, who are these people that are going to be deciding the fate of SBF of whether or not he's guilty? And that's like a really big weight and responsibility. And this is like a guy who came from having everything in the world, being a billionaire, talking to celebrities, having multi-million dollar homes to the everyday American, basically listening in. They probably don't know much about crypto, to be honest. Most of them seems like they didn't. Some actually expressed concerns that, hey, we don't know much about this. And now they are determining his fate. Yeah. Well, jury of your peers does not mean jury of people who share the same intellectual space as you. Same interests. Right. 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 And it's not to say these people aren't smart, you know. So in the end, they pick 12 jurors and six alternates. Basically, six alternates are the ones who come in if one of the 12 jurors have to get excused. And from that list, we had a physician assistant who has a career in medicine, another medical person who was a nurse. There was an unemployed social worker, a divorced stay-at-home mom. I'm kind of reading off a list here. We had a train conductor, high school librarian, a USPS worker, a Bloomberg IT worker. And then one of the most interesting ones to me was a man who was born in Hong Kong and he now lives in the States. He's retired. He's a former investment banker, has no kids. His wife also has a banking career. And he went to Rice and Stanford and he has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he basically said, if anyone in here gets COVID, I can no longer do this trial because that literally puts me at a huge health risk, which totally agree. Totally agree. But the person who has cancer is going to be on the jury. Yes, he's the, the one from Hong Kong, wow. and he has the IB background, and he went to Rice and Stanford. So, I mean, those are definitely merits. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> if, if dude with cancer can make it to jury duty, all of my excuses in the past <laughs> have been like- There's also a guy, and I felt so bad, who's on the alternates list. He works overnight at a hotel downtown, and he failed to disclose this when they were going through jury selection until after he was picked as an alternate. But his work schedule is 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Uh-huh. Jury is typically 9 to 5. And the judge, who was typically friendly, you know, outgoing, we could get to that, uh, he basically was like, you should have told us this before. Maybe we would have dismissed you, but we've had people with worse schedules, so you'll make it work. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) this man is not going to be sleeping for six weeks. Oh, man, that's brutal. Okay, so day one, jury's put in place. We get that locked in. Now we can kick things off. Day two was opening statements. Yes. So day two in the morning, they actually finished the jury selection, kind of what we got into. But then after that, it was the opening statements where the prosecutor spoke first. And basically, the prosecutors kind of took the angle of, lies and fraud. And they kept repeating billions of dollars taken, you know, billions of dollars from customers. He took the money and this is all their words alleged. He said he used the money towards real estate, family, friends, political influence, etc. And he kept saying they he lied. SBF lied. And he took money he didn't have. Basically, all your money from the investors, the everyday person using FTX, not everyday person, these are crypto people, you know, but <laughs> to... Your everyday degens, you know. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Sad with a lot of affection. And I would say the 
prosecutor's angle was a little more accusatory, which would make sense. They also showed old photos of him during the opening statement and also during the witness part, which I think was done because he's showing up to court and he has this haircut. He's in a suit that's a little big on him, but he looks a lot, lot more cleaned up than his time when he was at FTX. And so basically the prosecutors are showing you this was the man who was in charge kind of not looking like the guy who's sitting here today, which they might have cleaned up for PR purposes. Yeah. Can I just say that? <laughs> you used to love his fits. I, I know. Alex. But I will say that Sam Bankman Freed was for a very short period of time, the, the paragon, the archetype of slacker attire. And I was very proud that finally we had someone who was hanging out with like ex-presidents who looked mm -hmm. terrible. They actually did use that photo of him at the uh, Crypto Bahamas conference that FTX hosted with him, Tony Blair and Bill Clinton. And it's him on stage. And honestly, I don't even remember his hair looking like that. But it was like a massive frizzy thing on top with a white T-shirt and cargo shorts. So yeah. they really they really pulled out the photos. I'm just saying next time we get a fashion icon, I hope they don't get in trouble for alleged multi-billion dollar fraud and so forth because he sets lockers back. Fashion icon is an interesting choice of words. <laughs> How dare he let me down is my point. Okay, so the, the vibes are what I, I'm very curious about because oh. courtrooms are famously a little bit dry and procedural. Let's talk vibes. Um, clearly, the prosecution has a case to make and the defense wants to point out that he's just a wee little boy who got lost and mm -hmm. didn't know he had needed a CFO. Right. But the judge, you mentioned the judge having a relatively interesting affect. I'm curious about how that impacted the overall feel of things. So the judge, Judge Lewis Kaplan, he's a federal judge of the Southern District of New York. If you want to look him up, that's him. He was very jovial, very friendly, very, but very straightforward. He would crack jokes about how he's not good at using computers and how certain people's excuses weren't that good. Like he wouldn't say that directly, but he would be like, you have your husband's co-worker's wedding. And then like people would laugh, you know. So he was definitely more funny. I will say I noticed in the beginning of day two when he cracked jokes, Sam Bankman Fried did not laugh. He just like stared straight ahead. I was in the room among about 12 other reporters and I had like a direct view of him for the first half of the second day. So I watched his every single movement while the whole trial proceedings were going on. And SBF basically sat there, looked pretty straight. He had a laptop in front of him with a screen protector, which from the side you can't see. But later on, I was sitting behind him and you can see the screen. So the screen protector only protects so much. And basically, he was constantly shaking his leg under the table, which is not visible to the public eye. But because of the angle I had, you saw that. And that's like something of his, you know, he's always fidgeting, always moving around. And he also kept biting his lip and like kind of like sucking on it. I don't even want to I don't even know how to explain that properly. And then when the jurors came in, when prior to them being selected, he kind of looked straight ahead, but you could tell he was looking out of the corner of his eye to look at them. And then after the jurors were selected, very, very strangely, he kept looking at his sheet of paper, looking at his screen and then staring intently at the jurors. Creepy. Yeah, he was staring like full on trying to make eye contact with them. And then at one point I did see him smirk at one. You know, I don't know what the juror's response was, if they smirked back or. It's it's very rare that I have to say this, but we should apply some 
rules I learned in rehab to the courtroom because one of the things that was banned <laughs> in rehab was quote mad dogging. And I didn't know what yeah. that meant, but it turns out it's what you're saying when you just stare at someone and lock eyes on them in a threatening manner. If I was the defendant though, I don't know if I would do that to the people who can give me up to 115 years in prison. Yeah. And I'm not sure he was doing it in, with the purpose of intimidating them. Because I've seen photos of me on stage at panels where I look so angry, but I'm actually just, you know, listening. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there, you know. But yeah, he had he he did like squinty eyed at the jurors. Like he was kind of like trying to see who they were. And he had this like thousand yard stare <laughs> for most of the trial. He yep. was just staring straight ahead with his hands crossed on his laptop unless he was typing. And he looked down at his papers, you know, and really the only person he made eye contact with, aside from the wall straight ahead or the judge, was his main lawyer, Mark Cohen. Even if other people were talking around him, he was looking at Mark to speak to Mark the whole time, I would argue. And also, it's important to mention that his parents were in attendance and they were sitting two rows behind me initially. His mom and dad were there. The mom has really short black hair. She had some earrings on, a gold necklace. And she also had a notepad with her, a yellow notepad. And she was writing away incessantly. And the dad, which makes sense, uh, had a frown on for the most of it. And he also had a bench full of quote unquote family members is how the security offers like referred to them when they sat them down. They're like, oh, for the family of Bankman Freed. So I don't know who the others were, but yeah. If you're curious why Jackie has so many interesting, frankly, details on SBS parents and what they were wearing and so forth. It's because I was sitting there. And <laughs> it's because they banned for nearly everybody laptops and phones inside the venue, mm -hmm. which means that Jackie has been going back to the Stone Age every day to sit there for how, how many hours a day? Uh, it starts around 9.30, ends around 4.35. So it's it's a whole work day. A whole work day of, of a, a crypto reporter with paper. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's like, yeah. I didn't set out to torture Jackie all week long, but apparently <laughs> that's what I'm doing because she has to just sit there and listen to the court. Oh God. I have never written down so many details in my life. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of fun because it's okay. Fun as it, fun as, as fun it can be, you know, but the details, I think, kind of make the story. Like, you could all read the transcripts, but you don't know the fine little things that were going on there. You don't know that he was shaking his leg under the table or how he was looking at the jurors, unless you're physically in the room. And that's not to attack you. Alex is holding up his hands. No, like, no, don't no, come no, for no, me. No, 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 no. I'm <laughs> not. No, attack me all you want. It's totally fine. I, I just wanted to point out that I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm just trying to say that it's, it's no, interesting no, no, yeah. to see the different things we, cause if you were on your laptop, you would be answering yeah, Slack messages, like, tweets. You, you would feel <laughs> the need to live tweet it. Right. Um, yeah, but instead oh, it's cool to see, that's what I was trying to get at. Mm -hmm. Like the, the different result of going stone age in this trial of not having a phone to distract you at every waking moment. Yes. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> you should go to a trial. No, no, thank you. I, well, the IPO market's way more boring than the crypto market when it comes to legal proceedings, at least in my experience. Okay, so we've gone over day one, <laughs> talked about day two, talked about the vibe. I'm curious, mm -hmm. is, has there been anything that surprises you here? Because so far, this is all very interesting, very important, but nothing that I'm like, oh shit, that's not what I expected. Hmm. I was surprised by the first witness. I've heard from other lawyers that it should always be started off extremely strong. And it should end really strong. So everyone was whispering, like, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Caroline Ellison, which is the former CEO of Alameda and SBF's 
on and off girlfriend is how they phrased him. They're not together anymore. Obviously. Uh, well, hey, maybe not. Obviously. Who knows? Actually, can we pause and talk about that for a second? Because it's not just <laughs> drama. Um, briefly. Yeah. <laughs> no, Briefly, because I, I think it does show why people expect her to be there as a possible witness. Because after Sam was taken into uh, custody and given house arrest, he leaked something. Mm. Yes. So SBF leaked Caroline Ellison's Google Doc diary to the New York Times. I think he had about 100 phone calls with them. And basically what happened during that period of time is they talked about the diary. He got access to it and New York Times published an article on it. And it basically illustrated Caroline Ellison as someone who was not secure in their role. She was upset. She was incapable is basically what I think he was trying to paint a picture. And for reference, Caroline Ellison, among two other executives and really close friends of SBF, are, you know, going to be witnesses. They're cooperating with the government. They're cooperating. We know that Gary Wang, who is the co-founder of FTX, who is one of those three people I just mentioned, is speaking on Friday, which we will get to later. And yeah, so as a result of him leaking that, he got his bail revoked by Judge Kaplan and he got sent to the jail in Brooklyn. I think it's the MDC Metropolitan Detention Center. Those are the details. So now back to witness number one. Yes. So witness number one came on around like 3.30 p.m., 3 p.m., and his name was Mark Antoine Juilliard. And if that name does not ring a bell, it did not for anyone in the courtroom either. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I know. Everyone was writing it down, and then he walked in, and some of us were whispering like, Who the hell? Like, who? You know, and it's not to diminish the witness, but it's just the fact that he is a user of FTX, or was, I should say. Um, Well, he still is, because... He still can't withdraw his funds. And basically, he is from Paris, grew up there, lives in London now. He's a commodity trader and a cocoa bean broker. He trades the commodities of cocoa, just for context. And basically, the way the prosecutors painted it, back and forth conversation, he bought crypto on FTX because he believed and trusted in it. He saw the ads about FTX. He followed FTX on Twitter and SBF on Twitter. Sorry, or X. I'm calling it Twitter because they called it Twitter in court. Okay. And he described SBF as one of the leaders of the industry. And he assumed he could trust FTX's exchange. So So he used it. Yeah. But just thinking back to your point about starting strong, ending strong, it sounds like what they're trying to do, you know, Mm -hmm. here I am with my speculating hat on, Pointed out that this is not just an intra FTX issue, but it's instead something that impacted real people around the world. Yes. And so show the harm, maybe, and then show the alleged malice. Yeah. So Mark Antoine actually deposited about 100,000 pounds, which is like 140K US dollars. That's the math they said on stage. Who knows if that's exactly correct? But that's how much he deposited. And then it lowered to, you know, about 52,000 based on market movement. And then when FTX was collapsing, he talked about how he read SBF's tweets that was saying all the assets are fine. Don't worry about it. And that was November 7th. And then he said he tried to go on November 8th to deposit funds and it never worked. So his funds are still sitting in there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He tried yeah. to deposit funds? 
Oh no, sorry, sorry. Withdraw oh, funds. Okay, cool. I'm like, this guy had Yes, withdraw. Oh my gosh. Foolishness no, 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 no. if he was trying to deposit <laughs> on that date. Okay. Tried to withdraw his money, didn't work out. So essentially, again, we have FTX's actions and words setting the market expectation and then the rug mm-hmm. being pulled out from under this this person and a bunch of other people. Yes. Allegedly. Yes. And so one part that stood out to me that was pretty interesting was when Mark Cohen, SBF's lawyer, did like the cross-examination. He asked him like how much of it was of your savings. And he asked if it was like 70%. And Mark Antoine was like, I don't know the exact percentage, but it was a significant amount of my savings. And so for the jurors, I don't know their financial status or anything, of course, but for some, 100000 might be like more money than they've ever seen. And for some, it might be like nothing. So I think the context that this witness provided basically saying this was a lot, if not majority of my savings, and now I can't touch any of it, Was the, I think was definitely worth noting. Was the de- defense lawyer trying to argue that it wasn't that much of his money, so we shouldn't feel that bad? I think he was trying to see because he said he's never met him before. So it's not like he knew how much that was? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I know. We, we should get him on the podcast. That's an interesting strategy. Did you lose all of your money? Tell me you did. Now it's not my client's fault. Like that's a, yeah. that's an odd, <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but like just off, off the top, it doesn't sound yeah. reasonable to me. And also Mark Cohen's kind of argument was, and like you knew that crypto was risky. You could make a lot, you could lose a lot. And then the prosecutors actually came back up again and they asked him, when you invested on FTX, did you see the risk of it? No. And then they asked, did you see the risk of crypto? And of course he said, yes. <laughs> so it was like, the risk is within buying crypto, yeah. not putting your money on that platform. Like when I put my money in my bank account, I'm not like, I really hope today Chase doesn't withdraw at all or like stop me from withdrawing any money. You know, like. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting strategy that didn't go well for the defense. Yes. Also, it's not like his money went down by 50% and then he tried to sue FTX for his investments losing value. He lost his money because FTX allegedly didn't have it anymore. Yeah. That's uh, that's not good. Can I I throw a, a beef into here that I'm annoyed with? Please. This was not a run on the bank. There's been some tweets that I've been seeing some people mm. making that argument. Uh, an exchange is not a bank. They're not mm. the same thing. Mark Cohen made that argument as well, that it was a run on the bank during his opening statement. Yeah. Well, uh, he basically argued that because of a competitor who put out a tweet and then the Coindesk article and so on. It's not a run on the bank. I, I, I mean, I can write an article tomorrow calling it a green washing tub and it still would not be a verdant thing for washing clothes. It would still be an exchange. And that's what it was marketed as. That's what its services were. And I think run on the bank tries to flip the script and make it seem like it wasn't his fault. He was doing Mm. fine. It was external forces that allegedly brought this thing down. Not going to say house of cards. Well, that is actually a point that he was making that the crypto market volatility combined with the not proper enforcements being there before the market started to collapse you know, whether it was having no risk control or CFO. And apparently he told Caroline Ellison to hedge their funds because he had a feeling that it wasn't going to go well. And they blamed her and said she didn't hedge. Therefore, that is why the collapse was so big for FTX. Because had they hedged, maybe it wouldn't have been this bad. Yeah, but all of that's downriver from the use, the alleged use of customer funds at his prop trading desk. 
right? Not mm-hmm. to mention a lot of other stuff. Like, like it is they spent money on a lot of things that were non-core and had nothing to do with a lack of hedging at the hedge fund mm-hmm. side business. Um, so to yeah. me, like, it, the more I keep hearing the defensive strategy or the commentary around why he may not be as guilty as many people think he is, I don't find a lot of value there. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. see the argument that's it changed my view of, of the behaviors and the activities and, and so forth. And you and I have read a lot of documents about this company. Too many. Too, no, I wouldn't say too many. I think we got a couple more in us. Uh, <laughs> be but I'll, I'll be very <laughs> curious how this trial goes. And that's kind of mm. what I want to talk about next, which is just apart from making you go to the court again tomorrow, what's, what's coming up? A like six weeks trial? Like what happens next? What's the end game? Yeah, so they are anticipating six weeks. The judge hopes it's less. He says he thinks it's a bit long, but who knows? And the lawyers are anticipating six weeks on both sides. So at the end of the day today, around 4 p.m., they brought in the second witness, adding Medea for context. He is a longtime friend from college of Sam Bankman-Fried. They went to MIT together and they remained friends after. He worked for Alameda for a bit and then he went back to finish his Ph.D., and then he worked for FTX and he was a software engineer for him. And he described it as a, quote, close friendship because, you know, I have everything written down and here. W- he was a witness <laughs> for the defense? He was a witness for the prosecution. Oh. He said him and SBF hasn't spoken since November 2022 when this all happened. Okay. And he also lived in the house with SBF, that inf- infamous house with 10 people. They called it a polycule. He didn't say he was a part of it, but it was a $35 million penthouse in the Albany community in the Bahamas. Yes, but it was the hedging that was the problem. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get to that today. But also, interestingly, I think this is an important note. Adam mentioned he did not have a subpoena to be there, but he did get an immunity order, which basically means it protects him from being prosecuted as long as he's telling the truth. If he doesn't tell the truth, then he could be prosecuted. That's the best deal ever. Yeah. Well, and the reason he said he did that, you know, back and forth through the conversation is because he wouldn't have testified because he was, quote, worried the code he wrote would have committed to a crime. Oh, interesting. So he's worried that if he wrote the magical thing that took the money from FTX customers and gave it to Alameda, he could be accessory to the... If, if you make the it's pipe... It's like Oppenheimer with the atomic bomb. <laughs> He made the bomb, but he didn't put off the bomb. I don't know. We don't know if Adam actually created the code that gave SBF this quote unquote special button to take any money from Alameda. Right. I'm just saying that but, I can imagine yes. a situation in which if you were a developer there, you might be worried about that. Yeah. And and I get that because we've seen that in other cases where, you know, developers who created crypto products and services like that crypto mixer tornado cash they've been kind of arrested for that. Not kind of, they have been arrested. Also, crypto mixer sounds (laughs) like we're getting drinks. Oh, God. Anyways, anyways. So that happened today. That will finish up tomorrow, October 5th on Thursday. And by the time this episode comes out, his whole testimony will probably be over, which maybe you'll see some live tweets about it. But as for Thursday and Friday, we overheard the prosecutor ask the judge if we're good to go on the following witnesses. One was Adam Yadida that we just mentioned. Another was Matt Wang, who is the co-founder and managing partner of Paradigm, which is a, quote, research-driven technology investment firm. I'm pretty sure it used to say crypto investment firm, but, you know, to each their own. (laughs) And then before we get to that, last one is Gary Wang, the co-founder of FTX, which I'm sure will take up a lot of time. Yeah. 
Gary Wang is one of the people who agreed to a plea deal, which means he's fully cooperating with the government, supposed to tell the truth, and will definitely be testifying against SBF to save his own butt. Wow. I wonder if SPF is going to, at the end of this, wish that he had not tried to plead not guilty. But we will see because the wheels of justice mm. will grind on. Uh, and Jackie, where should people go to stay up to date on all things SPF trial if they're big fans of uh, ye old TechCrunch? I would say, obviously, TechCrunch.com. You could look up my name, Jacqueline Melanick. And then I am trying to tweet as much as possible when I get my phone back outside of the courtroom. So you could follow me on Twitter at J-A-C-Q-M-E-L-I-N-E-K, which is Jack Melanick. And yeah, that's where we're at. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't follow Jackie, shame. For shame. Yeah, she what? is foregoing the sun <laughs> for weeks to bring you the news. The least you could do is follow her on Twitter. We're not going to call it X. And the weird little details. I mean, how are you going to know about SBF's mom's SBF's haircut? haircut? Yeah. <laughs> Multiple haircuts, actually. <laughs> Everyone's haircut. I, yeah. I just want to close out by saying, Jackie, thank you for... For doing this, I'm glad the trial is local to you, making this a lot easier, but mm. it is still um, an enormous pain in the butt to, to do all this. So I appreciate it. And uh, you doing it means that I don't have to. So thank you. <laughs> week one is going well. Ask me again in week two or three if I'm if I'm missing sleep. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and if something big happens, we'll do this again, right? 100%. We have to. We have to do updates. Awesome. Jackie, thank you so much for this again. We really appreciate it. And of course, everyone, Equity is back on Friday with our usual news rundown. If you need more Equity in between now and then, we are Equity Pod on Twitter or X, if you want to call it that. And also Threads, come hang out with us. We have a good time over there. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hugs. Bye. Equity is hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. And a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.